Hello, everybody. Johnny here. This is Music Seeds, the music that made us. And this episode, I am going to be talking about the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Giddy up. Hi, this is Johnny. I'm your host, and you are listening to Music Seeds. The music that made us. Today's episode is going to be me diving into the Red Hot Chili Peppers. I've been digging the new album quite a bit, Unlimited Love, and I've been enjoying it so much the last couple weeks that I was thinking back to the first time I heard them, and I thought, you know what, I'm going to dive into this week's podcast and talk about one particular band and then talk about some other things towards the end. I hope you enjoy it. I think it's something that uh, will be really interesting going down this rabbit hole. The first uh, song I remember hearing from them was way back in the mid-80s. It was the song True Men Don't Kill Coyotes. That was the first song and I think that was actually the first cassette I ever bought from them back in the 80s. Yes, cassettes. If you have no idea what those are, you can wiki them and you can find out. Um, the first song that I remember being popular by them, it was a Stevie Wonder cover of Higher Ground that was on the Mother's Milk album. But everybody knows that their first really big uh, album was back in 1991, a year before I graduated high school, called Blood, Sugar, Sex, Magic. It was their first record on Warner Brothers. The first time I actually saw them was back in August 2nd of 1992 at the World Music Theater in Chicago. I actually have the poster from that show. There was a little band that opened up in that tour called Pearl Jam. Who would have known 30 years previously that these guys would be one of the hugest bands in the world, along with the Chili Peppers? Before we dive into their musical history, the reason also I really wanted to do this podcast is because I was listening to a previous podcast with Rick Rubin called Broken Record, which had John Frusciante do the first episode, and then Anthony Kiedis came towards the end, and they both concluded into the second episode of this podcast. And then this past week, Flea had a podcast, and next week, Chad will have a podcast. So four episodes talking to each of the Chili Peppers, going down the history with them, and Rick Rubin doing the interviewing. Ironically enough, Rick Rubin is the reason, in my opinion, that they have definitely hit super stardom because of his production value on their albums. And also, I think another major influence to their popularity has been amongst, you know, Anthony and Flea creating this band from the beginning. I think John Frusciante definitely is born to be in this band as their guitarist because each time they collaborate, they seem to get this amazing material and this new album just blows me away the jazz influence on it their quick discography their first album came out in 1984 it was a self-titled album then in 1985 freaky styley came out 87 uplift mofo party plan 89 mother's milk 
um, which also includes, besides the higher ground cover, the Hendrix cover of Fire. Their big break in 91 with Blood, Sugar, Sex, Magic. 95, One Hot Minute, which had Dave Navarro on it. Then John came back in 99 for Californication. And then in 2002, By the Way. And in 2006, Stadium Acradium. And then John left again. And then in 2011, they had I'm With You. 2016, The Getaway. Now back in 2022, John is back with the Unlimited Love album. I will dive deeper into those albums and the guitarists and the history and sad history of the um, Chili Peppers bandmates. So the Chili Peppers formed back in 1983. I guess their music kind of has always incorporated like a form of alternative rock, funk, punk rock, and psychedelic rock. Anthony Kiedis and Flea are the original members of the band, and then Chad Smith and John Frusciante joined them later on. These guys have sold over 100 million records worldwide. They're considered one of the best-selling bands of all time, and I guess they're really considered one of the most successful bands in history for alternative music. With a majority of their records have hitting number one, with their records for the most number one singles, they also have the most cumulative weeks at number one. Most top ten songs on the uh, Billboard's alternative song charts. Uh, they have won six Grammys, and then they were included into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2012. And just about a month or so ago, they received a star in the Hollywood Walk of Fame. So the Red Up Chili Peppers were formed, like I said, back in 1983 in Los Angeles by Kiedis, Flea, and the guitarist Hillel Slovak and drummer Jack Irons. Jack Irons, who some of you may know we've talked about in previous podcasts, was a drummer for Pearl Jam at one time. Due to commitments to other bands, Slovak and Irons did not play on the band's 1984 self-titled debut album, which included feature guitarist Jack Sherman and drummer Cliff Martinez. Slovak rejoined for their second album, Freaky Styley, which, like I said, was released in 1985, and Irons for their third, the Uplift Mofo Party Plan, back in 87. Irons left after Slavic died of a drug overdose in June 1988. And then um, he, uh, during that time, I was thinking, probably in the later, probably a couple years later, he uh, went up and met Eddie Vedder. Because I know Jack was a big surfer, and so was Eddie. So after uh, Irons left, so Frashante and Smith help record Mother's Milk. Um, their first major commercial success, though, was, like I said, Blood Sugar Sex Magic. Frashante was uncomfortable with their newfound popularity after that album came out, and I remember him abruptly leaving the tour in 92. So I've never seen John with the band. He was replaced by Dave Navarro, and Dave Navarro appeared on the group's sixth album, One Hot Minute. The album was actually very successful, but the album failed to match their critical acclaim of Blood Sugar Sex Magic. A big part of that problem was that Frashante and Kiedis struggled with drug addiction throughout the 90s. 
With Navarro's departure in 1998, Rashanche rejoined the band. Their seventh album, Californication, became their biggest commercial success. It sold over 16 million copies worldwide. Then, by the way, in 2002, and Stadium Kratom were also successful. Stadium Kratom was their first album to reach number one, actually, on the Billboard 200 chart. But after that humongous success, Rashanti left again in 2009 to focus on a solo career. If you get a chance, check out some of his solo albums. He's got a very big jazz influence on his playing, and I love it. He, he was replaced by Josh Klinghoffer. Um, he appeared on the next two albums, I'm With You and The Getaway. And also, a little side note, Josh is now one of the guitarists touring with Pearl Jam, which started in 2021. I'm sure we'll know more about that as we see the tour progress. They released their 12th album here in the last few weeks, Unlimited Love. To me, probably one of their best albums up there, in my opinion, with Californication. Um, and by the way, probably their most played song, consistently anyway, is Under the Bridge. It came out in 91. It only reached number two though, to where their first single that came off the Blood Sugar Sex Magic album was Give It Away Now, which reached number one on the modern rock chart. But before we get into any of that, we must start from the beginning. So like I was saying earlier, they were formed in Los Angeles. It was Anthony Kiedis, the guitarist Hillel Slovak, Flea the bassist, and the drummer Jack Irons. They were all classmates at Fairfax High School. Their early names included Tony Flo and the Miraculously Majestic Masters of Mayhem. Their first performance was at the Rhythm Lounge Club to a crowd of approximately 30. They were opening for a band called Gary and the Neighbors Voices. So they had a lot of inspiration with the punk funk acts like the Contortion and the Defunct. They improvised music while Kiedis rapped. At the time, Slovak and Irons were already committed to another group. What is this? However, the new band was asked to return the following week. They changed their name to the Red Hot Chili Peppers, playing several shows at the LA venues. Six songs from those shows were on the band's first demo tape. In November of 83, manager Lindy Goetz, I'm probably screwing that name up, G-O-E-T-Z, struck a seven-album deal with EMI America and Enigma Records. So about two weeks earlier, however, What Is This had also obtained a record deal with the MCA. And in December, Slovak and Irons quit the Red Hot Chili Peppers to focus on What Is This. So Flea and Kiedis recruited from the band Weirdos, drummer Cliff Martinez, and guitarist Jack Sherman. The band up releasing their debut album, The Red Hot Chili Peppers, back in 1984 of August. They got some airplay on college radio, and MTV actually helped build a fan base. The album actually only sold about 300,000 copies, though. And so the gang of four guitarists, Andy Gale, who produced the album, pushed the band to play with a cleaner, more radio-friendly sound. The band was disappointed with the result, finding it overdone, like just too produced. The album included backing vocals by Gwen Dickey, the singer for the 1970s disco funk group Rose Royce. 
check them out if you get a chance. The band embarked on a grueling tour, performing 60 shows in 64 days. So, like, actually during this tour, they had a lot of um, lifestyle tension between Kiedis and Sherman. Kind of complicated the transition between the concert and daily band life. So Sherman was fired um, in February of 85, and then Slovak, who had just quit What Is This, rejoined back with them in 85. So back in 1985, when Freaky Styley came out, that was actually an album that was produced by the most famous funk musician of all time, George Clinton. Um, he introduced elements of punk and funk into the band's repertoire. The album featured Maceo Parker and Fred Wesley. The band used heroin while recording this album. It influenced their lyrics and their music. The band had a much better relationship with Clinton than with Gill, but Freaky Styley released on August 16, 1985, also achieved little success, failing to make an impression on any chart. The band also considered the subsequent tour unproductive. Despite the lack of success, the band was satisfied with Freaky Styley. Kiedis reflected that it so surpassed anything we thought we could have done that we were thinking we were on the road to enormity. Around this time, the band appeared in the 1986 films Thrashin', playing the song Black Eyed Blonde from Freaky Styley, and Tough Guys, performing Set It Straight. In early 1986, EMI gave the Chili Peppers 5,000 recorded demo tape for their next album. They chose to work with producer Keith Levine from PIL, as he shared their interest in drugs. Levine and Slovak put aside 2,000 of the budget to spend on heroin and cocaine, which created tension between the band members. Martinez's heart was no longer in the band, but he did not quit. So Kiedis and Flea fired him in April 1986. Irons rejoined the band to their surprise, and it marked the first time all four founding members were together since 1983. During the recording and subsequent tour of Freaky Styley, Kiedis and Slovak were dealing with debilitating heroin addictions. Due to his addiction, Kiedis did not have the same drive or desire to come up with the ideas or lyrics and appeared at rehearsal literally asleep. So we need to remember this period in their life and the actual importance of how it will reflect in their art. So life imitating art is definitely going to be one of the biggest catapults in their career coming a few years later. Ironically enough, it wouldn't happen at this moment in time because they actually did attempt for their third album to get Rick Rubin hired as producer, but he declined because he knew about the band's increasing drug problem. They eventually hired a man called Michael Beinhorn um, from the art funk project material, their last choice. The early attempts at recording were halted due to Kiedis' worsening drug problem, and Kiedis, believe it or not, was briefly fired. After the band were named Band of the Year by LA Weekly, Kiedis entered a drug rehabilitation. The band auditioned new singers, but Kiedis, now sober, rejoined the recording sessions with new enthusiasm. Songs formed quickly, blending the funk feel and the rhythms of Freakly Styley with a harder, more immediate approach to punk rock. The album was recorded in the basement of Capitol's recording building. The recording process was difficult. Kiedis would frequently disappear to seek drugs, and after about 50 days of sobriety, Kiedis decided to take drugs again 
to celebrate his new music. The third Red Hot Chili Peppers album, The Uplift Mofo Party Plan, was released in September of 87 and peaked at just number 148 on the Billboard 200 chart. An actual significant improvement over the earlier albums, the band immediately embarked on a two-and-a-half-month North American tour to promote the release. They actually were accompanied by Faith No More as support, who were also promoting their new album, Introduce Yourself. During this period, however, Kiedis and Slovak had both developed serious drug addictions, often disappearing for days on end. Unfortunately, Slovak died from a heroin overdose on June 25, 1988, soon after the conclusion of their Uplift tour. Kiedis fled the city and did not attend Slovak's funeral. Ions, troubled by the death, left the band. Following years of depression, he became a member of the Seattle grunge band Pearl Jam in 1994. So, like I said, one of their biggest, one of their first hits is a reflection of all of this. So, around 1988, towards the end of the year, Dwayne Blackberg McKnight, a former member of Parliament Funkadelic, joined as guitarist, and D.H. Peligro of Dead Kennedys joined as drummer. Kiedis re-entered rehab for about 30 days and visited Slovak's grave as part of his rehabilitation. Finally, confronting his grief, three days into the tour, McKnight was fired for lack of chemistry with the band. McKnight was so unhappy, he threatened to burn down Kiedis' house. Peligro introduced Kiedis and Flea to a teenage guitarist and Chili Peppers fan, John Frusciante. He actually brought a darker, more melodic rock style to the band, and Frusciante performed his first show with the Chili Peppers in September of uh, 1988. With this new lineup, they began writing for the next album and went on a short tour. It was called the Turd Town Tour. In November, Kiedis and Flea fired Peligro due to his drug and alcohol problems. Following open auditions, they hired drummer Chad Smith in December of 1988, who has remained since, according to Smith. We started playing, and right away, we just hit it off musically. So, with this new lineup, the Chili Peppers began work on their fourth album in 1989. Unlike the stop-start sessions from the Uplift MoFo party plan, pre-production went smoothly. However, the sessions were made tense by Byron Horn's desire to create a hit, frustrating for Shantae and Kiedis. So it was released on August 16, 1989, and was called Mother's Milk. It actually peaked at number 52 on the Billboard 200, but the record failed to chart in the United Kingdom and Europe. It climbed to number 33 in Australia, and then Knock Me Down reached number six on the U.S. modern rock tracks, whereas Higher Ground charted at number 11 and reached number 54 in the U.K. and 45 in Australia and France. Higher Ground, Stevie Wonder song, what an amazing cover, still one of their best covers to this day. Mother's Milk was certified gold in March of 1990 and was the first Chili Peppers album to ship over 5,000 units. That was before downloads, folks. Pretty impressive. So as I was aware of this album and how much I enjoyed the album, I wouldn't say I was a big fan at this time. I was a mediocre fan. As 1991 came, 
This was my junior year in high school. This was also one of the peaking times of the transition of from like the 80s pop from the MTV era to like the 90s grunge and rock and roll that came into the 90s. So I do remember seeing Give It Away Now on heavy rotation, a really, really cool video that uh, got them all painted up and it was very alternative. But before we get into that, let's step back to when the transition from EMI to Warner Brothers happened for them. So back in 1990, after the success of Mother's Milk, the Chili Peppers left EMI and entered a major label bidding war. They eventually signed with Warner Brothers Records, and this is when they hired who, in my opinion, is kind of like the fifth Red Hot Chili Pepper, uh, Rick Rubin. Ruben has probably continuously had the most success with the band. Um, like I said earlier, he did turn them down in 87 because of their drug problems. But at this point, with now them being healthier and more focused, he went on to produce. Um, the writing process was more productive than it had ever been before, even more so than Mother's Milk. At one point, Kitas even said, Every day there was new music for me to lyricize. At Ruben's suggestion, they recorded in The Mansion. It's a studio in the house where magician Harry Houdini once lived. In September of 91, Blood Sugar Sex Magic was released. Like I was saying earlier, Give It Away was the first single. So, the music video, like I was talking about earlier for Give It Away, was made by a French fashion photographer and director, Stéphane Sednoy spelled S-E-D-N-A-O-U-I. Kiedis wanted the video to be visually distinct and readily identifiable, but disliked much of the material Warner Brothers sent for him to choose from. I started viewing reels and reels and reels of video directors, but nothing looked good to me. Everything was the same, boring, homogenized, contrived shit. Upon finding the director's reel, Stefan. The singer said it was like nothing else. It was slower and poetic. Shot in black and white, it seemed like authentic art, not something shot for MTV. He and Flea met with Stefan to talk about the video, but the director proposed a very desolated, very graphic landscape while heavily focusing on the band members with little to no outside influence. So they decided that the video would be filmed in black and white while Stefan took the idea of painting the band members with silver acrylic from previous photo shoots that they had done. If you see the album, you'll see the that kind of artwork. The photographer recalls that he was amazed by what the band gave me because they went far, far beyond what I was expecting, and I think that's one of the best experiences in this regard. The overall mood of the video was intended to be a personification of the song, upbeat and lively. So... Depending on your age group and when you first heard them, this is actually the most pivotal point in their career. This is from when they went from mediocre status to like superstar status. And from that point on, they've had amazing success. And it has a lot to do with all the components being in the right place. 
them going into a new label, them having the core members, them having a great producer, them being at the right place at the right time with the alternative music changes that were happening in the early 90s. This video, if you had to choose out of all their videos, was their biggest breaking point in their career. So this video only cost about 140000 to produce, and it was completed actually while they were going through a promotional trip through Europe. When Anthony saw the video for the first time, he says, more hysterically ecstatic about that piece of visual footage than anything the band had ever done. The Warner Brothers executives, however, were worried that the content would be too weird or too artsy for the general public. They favored a more traditional premise in the contrast to the experimental approach than the director had. The video was ultimate release without being edited by the record label. Since then, it has been widely credited as being a considerable factor in the Red Hot Chili Pepper's success and greatly increased their international popularity. It had tons of great reviews, and it was nominated for three awards, Best Alternative Video, Breakthrough Video, and Best Art Direction at the MTV Music Awards, and won for Breakthrough Video and Best Art Direction. It is probably one of their biggest performances live, too. It would be the second video released off this album, though, that would be the staple of their career. And it ties back into their previous issues they were having with addiction. Under the Bridge, considered one of the Chili Peppers' best songs, was a personal experience by Anthony Kiedis. Under the Bridge is their 11th track on Blood Sugar Sex Magic. Anthony wrote the lyrics while reflecting on loneliness and the struggles of being clean from drugs. He almost didn't share it with the band. I believe Rick had a big push on him bringing it to the band. And with that being said, obviously it was a really good decision. It was released in March of 92. It was praised by critics and fans for its emotional weight. The song was a commercial success and the band's highest charting single, peaking at number two on Billboard Top 100 and certified platinum. It was also a success in other countries, mostly charting in the top 10. It actually helped them enter the mainstream. The song has become an inspiration to other artists and remains a seminal component of the alternative rock movement of the early and mid 90s. During the production of the Red Hot Chili Peppers album, like I was saying, Rick regularly visited Anthony to review his material. He found a poem titled Under the Bridge in Kiedis' notebook, and uh, he took an interest in uh, poignant lyrics. Ruben suggested that Kiedis show it to the rest of the band, and he's like, I thought it was beautiful. He, and I said to Anthony, we gotta do this. And Kiedis was reluctant um, as he felt the poem was too emotional and did not fit the Chili Pepper style. After singing the poem to guitarist John Frusciante and the drummer Chad Smith, they got up and walked over to their instruments and started finding the beat and guitar chords to match it. Frusciante chose the chords to balance the dark lyrics, saying, I thought the lyrics were really sad, like, I thought the lyrics were really sad, like, that I should write some chords that are happier. Frusciante and Kiedis worked in the song for several days. It was one of the few tracks completed prior to the band moving into the mansion, 
where they recorded the album. After the song was recorded, Ruben felt the grand ending would benefit from a large group of singers. Frashante invited his mother, Gail, and her friend, both of whom sang in a choir, to perform that song. The ballad was released as a second single, like I said, and it was like their biggest hit at that point, like I was saying earlier also. The album itself sold over 12 million copies, and it has been listed as the number, like, 310 album, like, of the best albums of all time, which is, like, 500 albums from Rolling Stone. And in 92, it rose to number three in the U.S. album chart almost a year after its release. The album was accompanied by a documentary, Funky Monks, and the band began their Blood Sugar Sex Magic tour, which featured, believe it or not, opening acts, Nirvana, Pearl Jam, Smashing Pumpkins, three of the era's biggest upcoming bands in the alternative music, as the opening acts, people. It blows my mind. Unfortunately, during that time, though, Frashante was troubled by his fame and began falling out with Kiedis. He isolated himself from the band and developed a secret heroin addiction. In an appearance on Silent Live, he performed off-key. Kiedis believed he wanted to sabotage the performance. Frashante abruptly quit after the show in Tokyo in May of 92. He returned to Los Angeles and spent years living in squalor, struggling with addiction. At this point, the Chili Peppers contacted guitarist Dave Navarro, who had just split with Jane's addiction. Uh, Navarro was involved in his own drug problems, and after failed auditions with the Xander Slosh and Eric Marshall of the Los Angeles band Marshall Law, and the Chili Peppers headlined the Lollapalooza tour and festival in 1992. And I got to see them that August in Chicago. It was a great show. I remember it very vividly, and it has one of the biggest impacts to me in all of music. So much that the lineup for that tour for the 92 Lollapalooza was Red Out Chili Peppers, Ministry, Ice Cube, Soundgarden, The Jesus and Mary Chain, Pearl Jam, and Lush. Yes, Pearl Jam was second on the opening act. I am going to, at some point, go down the rabbit hole of Lollapalooza, especially from the early years, all the way up to now and its incarnation. How Perry Farrell was involved, and how it turned into this big alternative musical festival that is still running popular to today. Obviously now Lollapalooza is so huge that it has all kinds of music, just not alternative music. But in the early days, it definitely was a catapult for a lot of alternative music bands, whether it was rock and roll to hip-hop to any kind of genre at that point. This was the beginning of the alternative era, and this is the podcast that I'm going to be diving into a lot from this year, because we're coming to the 30th anniversary of when I turned 18, and also we're turning into the whole alternative uh, anniversary of that year. A lot of big acts, a lot of big names. So we'll be going down that rabbit hole quite a bit. I figure this is a good first start with the Red Hot Chili Peppers history. Um, I hope you enjoyed this episode. There's a lot more to talk about because from here on, after this album, Blood Sugar Sex Magic, they had become the biggest rock and roll band in the world, along with a lot of those alternative acts. So it'll be interesting to talk about in the next episode how they became the humongous band they are now. And I appreciate listening to the show. 
you can get a hold of me through any of the social media outlets, including Facebook at Music Made Seeds. You can also get a hold of me through TikTok, Snapchat, Instagram, and through email at OZOMATFAN87 at gmail.com. I appreciate you listening. I thank you for your time. And please take care of each other out there. Until next time. Hi, this is Johnny. I'm your host, and you are listening to Music Seeds. The music that made us. <laughs>